Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Sure, a beautiful thing seeing you baptize your boy. I was hoping he'd do a cannonball, but he didn't. <laughs> you threatened him. <laughs> hey, uh, we just finished up Windshape Camp, and they tell me that 32 kids gave their life to Christ at that camp this week. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty cool. And Joey and uh, the Nicaraguan team, some of them are traveling back today. Another team is leaving today. Um, so pray for travel for everybody. They've built this church. You can see uh, what's going on at, uh, is it NM International on Facebook? Just look that up and you can see what, keep up with those guys. Um, let's get our Bibles out. Let's go to John chapter 4. You know, the beauty of teaching through a text is that you get a better comprehensive picture of it. Sometimes when we teach topically, and I do that and other pastors do that, it can be as if you see a snapshot here and a snapshot there, and you don't get really the big picture, and sometimes you miss the connections. I think John chapter 4 is one of those examples where if you are going through it verse by verse, you'll see the connection between something that otherwise might have been lost. Because in John chapter 3, you've got the story of Nicodemus. And it's this Pharisee who comes to Jesus, and through that conversation, we get, you must be born again, and that beautiful John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And then in John 4, you see the encounter with the woman at the well, and Jesus is like, I am the living water, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. And so these two beautiful images of who Christ is and how He is involved in our lives uh, emerge from both of those. But if, if you're not careful, you create a silo over each of those, and so neither one is really in any way connected to the other one, when in fact, I kind of wonder if they weren't meant to be connected, right? Uh, and what's interesting to me is Nicodemus and the woman at the well uh, were complete and utter polar opposites. I mean, Nicodemus was a Jew. She was, of course, a Samaritan. Nicodemus was a male. She was, of course, a female. Nicodemus was powerful. She was powerless. Nicodemus was stable. She was unstable. Nicodemus was uh, uh, a moralist. She was immoral. Uh, she was lawless. He was a legalist. He was seeking God. She wasn't seeking God. She was seeking something else. In fact, she was a, a bit of a runner. And so the two could not have been any more different. It would be hard to imagine two extreme opposites, more so than the woman at the well and Nicodemus. And yet both of them had this one thing that was similar, and that is both of them uh, sort of represented a specific group that had open hostility toward Jesus. In other words, these were both people out of groups who had a distinct animosity toward Jesus and everything that Jesus stood for. And so it's interesting to me that God has put these two stories in his book, the Gospel of John, and they're really somewhat sandwiched side by side so that we can see both of these at once. Because even though they were very different, and even though they both represented groups who were hostile toward Jesus, Jesus reached both of these people. And, and for me, that's, that's an important story. Because we live in, how should we say it? a hostile environment when it comes to church and things of faith. This is a post-Christian culture, post-modernism, post-Christian, all of that tangled up together. And it's hard for us not to sort of take sides and 
and become antagonistic and combative and all those things that can, can happen when you feel threatened in some way. And yet Jesus never allowed that to happen. Um, and so he reached both of these people. And I see such a powerful example for us and how we're to live in this, in this age, in this generation. Now, admittedly, the point of both of these stories is not how to share your faith. It's not how to talk to somebody about Jesus. The point of the story with Nicodemus was you must be born again. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He thought that he could earn God's approval through his performance, and so he's trying to earn his way to heaven. And Jesus very clearly says to him, look, Nicodemus, that doesn't work. You've got to be born again. And, and, and that happens through belief in me. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All of that tied up in that conversation with Nicodemus. That's a central idea. Central idea of the woman at the well was here's a thirsty woman and uh, water's involved. And Jesus transitions that to, you know, as long as you drink this water, you're going to always thirst. But I've got something that will cause you to never thirst again. And so I'm the living water. And that's the central theme of that. But there is a secondary theme to both of these. And I think it was intentional. You see, Jesus had hundreds, maybe even thousands of, co- of interactions with individuals just like this, right? But God chose, for whatever reason, to preserve these two conversations and to put them side by side in the book so that when you read the book, you read from one to the very next book, okay? And I I asked myself, why would he do that? And I think these two stories, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, were preserved for us so that we would understand how to share the gospel to this generation. So John chapter 4, verse 1. Let me summarize verses uh, 1 through 5, okay? Okay. Jesus is in Judea in the south. So essentially, there's three different parts of Israel at that time. In the southern region, uh, there was Judea, and that's where Jerusalem was, that's where Bethlehem was, that's where the temple was, Judea. Um, In the north was Galilee, and that's where Nazareth was, that's where uh, Bethsaida was, that's where Capernaum was, that's where the Sea of Galilee was, that was up in the north. And between the south and the north, you had this region called Samaria, And Samaria was populated by a people group called Samaritans. And Samaritans were sort of a, for lack of a better way of expressing it, sort of a a half-stepbrother kind of relationship to the Jews. It's too long to get into, but long story short, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And this simmering animosity had been going on one against the other for about 900 years. So it's, it's pretty well in play. In fact, it, it got really heated up about 450 B.C. It was so bad by Jesus' time that if you were a Jew in Judea in the south and you needed to go to Galilee in the north, you would go out of your way to walk all the way around Samaria which is way longer, way hotter, way, way more difficult, just so that you wouldn't have to talk to a Samaritan. I mean, that's a commitment to bitterness, is it not? Well, that's where they were. And yet here's Jesus. He needs to go from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. He didn't walk around Samaria. He goes straight through it. Why? Because that's who he was. And at the same time, he had an appointment with the woman at the well. So John chapter 4, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Um, And that's all tangled up in the, you know, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, and uh, then Jacob had uh, his sons, and Jacob ultimately became Israel, and he had the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes. You got all that. 
Okay, And so that historicity that's involved here was very important to the Samaritans because these people would tie, as they do in the Middle East even to this day, they would tie the value of who they were and where they were with who had been there, right? And so this is Jacob. He's the grandson of Abraham, and this was his well, so that made it important to them. And so Jesus comes up on this well and uh, it says, and Jacob's well was there. So, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well is about the sixth hour. And we don't really know. The sixth hour in Roman time would have been 12 noon. The sixth hour in Hebrew time would have been 6 p.m. And I've read commentators that go back and forth on this. I don't know. It's just, it's late in the day. In fact, it's too late in the day for a woman to show up gathering water. Um, and so that's the point. That's why, that's why that time was in there. But let's, uh, let's learn from this encounter. Um, how do you share the truth with people who reject your truth. How do you do that? I mean, we are living in culture wars. And there are passionate combatants on every side. How do I navigate that, live as a kingdom person, and still speak the truth and love into my generation? And the first principle I see here is be kind. Be kind. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if we haven't forgotten this. Look, like I said, Nicodemus and the woman at the well couldn't have been more different, but there was a common ingredient in both conversations, and you know what it was? Jesus was remarkably kind to both of them. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So this is a woman, she's coming to the well late in the day, and we'll get to that in a minute. She's probably hoping there's nobody there. She's thinking, I hate walking up here in the heat of this day to gather this water. I've got to do it again. Maybe nobody will be there. I won't have to talk to him. Then she looks up, and there's a guy sitting there. And not, he's not just a person sitting there, but it's a man sitting there. She's got to be dying inside. Oh, no. I, at least, well, he's a Jew. He won't talk to me. And then Jesus talks to her. says, give me a drink. Uh now, he shouldn't have spoken to her for at least three reasons, okay? First of all, she was a Samaritan, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. We've covered that, right? Second, she was a woman. Jesus was a rabbi. Rabbis did not speak to women in public at all, period. A rabbi wouldn't even speak to his wife in public. How'd you like to be a rabbi wife, woman, <laughs> ladies? That'd be something, wouldn't it? So he shouldn't have talked to her because she was a woman. And... Add to that the fact that she was a bad woman, even by Samaritan standards, because she's at the well in the middle of the day. You see, women didn't gather their water in the middle of the day. They gather their water first thing in the morning. We saw this when I was in Africa most recently. We were sitting in Uganda, and our time schedules were all uh, cattywampus because you're halfway around the world, and you're in the southern hemisphere, and, and so you're up in the middle of the night. And we're sitting there, Amy and I, would get out every morning and sit on the balcony about 5 o'clock and watch the sun come up in Africa, which was really kind of cool. And we'd watch this city come alive as we're sitting there. And it was interesting to watch, you know, the kids come out, and the kids are chasing the chickens and doing stuff. And, and, uh, and they're dirt roads. Um, they're dirt roads everywhere. You're in a city, but it's dirt roads. We're in a modern hotel sitting on the balcony. And then you start noticing that the women are coming out and they're carrying these, they're about this big around, they're about that deep, and they've got these buckets. Some of them are carrying them on their head. Some of them are carrying several of them. And Amy was like, take a picture of that. Watch that woman carrying those buckets. And I, I meant to bring you a picture, but I, I couldn't. But they were all doing that first thing in the morning. 
And then they'd go to wherever the well was and they would fill the water up and then they would be carrying it on their heads coming back. And it, it was amazing how much water those women could carry. They weren't that big around, but they were carrying all that. I thought, I could never do that. But that's what women did in the morning. So why is this woman here in the middle of the day? Well, because she's got some issues. And she don't want to talk to the other women because she was a bit of an outcast. She was wearing that scarlet letter, you know. And yet Jesus spoke to her anyway. And she calls him on it. It's like, what are you doing talking to me? Verse 9, therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan, there's one, and a woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now don't, don't miss the kindness. He's treating her as an equal and not an enemy. He's seeing her as a person and not a sin. And that was really the theme of both conversations. When you think about it, you have somewhat represented the combatants of the culture wars in these two different situations. Think about it. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That's the ultimate right wing, capitalist power guy. He probably had a red yarmulke that said, make Israel great again. <laughs> Pharisees thought Jesus was a liberal they thought he was soft on the law. Even though he said, do not think that I came to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He wasn't soft on the law. In fact, nobody took sin more seriously than Jesus because he died on the cross for sin. But they thought that because he would heal people on the Sabbath. He just didn't like their, their man-made rules. And so Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. They care more about the fact that the guy was healed. I mean, that, that it was done on the Sabbath than the fact that the guy was healed. And so they had labeled Jesus as one of these radical socialist liberals. But he was still kind to him. The one at the well was a first century left-wing socialist. She probably had just graduated with an associate degree in gender studies. Her pronouns were she and her. And she's all about reproductive rights and defunding the police. She probably liked to say, I don't need a piece of paper to be married. She thought Jesus was a hardcore, repressive Jew. He's just another one of those guys that hates us. And Jesus was kind to her. What do we learn from this? Here's what I learned. Don't hate people who disagree with you. Just because somebody disagrees with you, you don't have Look, I get it. In our generation, there are people who are passionate and they do hate you. And they hate everything you stand for. And they hate the truth. And they don't want to hear the truth. They hate all of that. But that doesn't give us the right to hate back. Because we have to remember our calling. And, and Baptists, sometimes we miss this. Because it's like, what am I after? What am I about? Well, I just want to get this off my chest. And so I just want to sort of uh, expunge myself of this gospel. Just get it off my chest and just tell everybody, turn or burn, you know. With no compassion whatsoever, just you know, kind of almost glad that you're, you're not going to make it to heaven. And sometimes we leave that impression, you know. Look, those people aren't your enemy. You may be their enemy. They're not your enemy. They're your mission field. Remember what Jesus said? I, don't, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And he said that it's recorded in Matthew 9. It's recorded in Mark 2. It's recorded in Luke 5. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I mean, be kind to people. It doesn't matter who it is or what they're about. Be kind to them. 
We tend to think that if a person disagrees with us, they're the enemy. You know, I grew up in a, in a household where arguing was uh, encouraged. I know, it's kind of crazy, right? My dad liked for us to argue because he wanted us to be able to articulate our ideas. He wanted us to be able to defend our ideas. And he wanted us to be teachable enough that when somebody else makes a better point that we yield to that. And so we grew up, the Dye family was an arguing house. We thought that was cool. I mean, we'd argue. Nobody got mad. Nobody called anybody an enemy. You just went out and you either agreed to disagree or 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 you changed your opinion, whatever. But that's how we lived. And I thought everybody liked to argue. And turns out I got into college and teachers don't like to argue. They don't like to argue at all. In fact, nobody likes to argue. In fact, when most people get into an argument, they feel threatened and you become the enemy. And so we erect these straw dolls and we turn them into the enemy. Look, you still have to be kind. I mean, think of your own salvation. Did you come to Jesus because somebody was screaming at you? Is that what brought you to Jesus? Oh, you know, I don't know that, I'm, I, don't know that I really agree with this guy. Oh, he's screaming at me. Okay, where do I sign up? Is that how we do it? I mean, yeah, maybe some of you were under a pastor and he was screaming at you. And, uh, you know, pastors tended to used to like to scream a lot. And maybe that... But there was somebody kind in your life that sort of helped you process whatever it was that they had screamed at you, right? There was a mom or dad who cared about you and was kind to you. There was a friend that was kind to you. Somebody was kind to you because that's what brings us to Jesus. Let me remind you of this verse. Or do not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that. And look at this, underline this part. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. And Jesus was kind with that woman. He was kind with Nicodemus. And then speak to the heart. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, look at this, living water. And so he's transitioning from the superficial things to the deeper things, really, heart things. You know, our problem is we never make that transition. We start out talking about LSU, and then we end up talking about LSU. We start out talking about fishing, we end up talking about fishing, or Lululemon, or whatever it is. Whatever we start with, that's what we end with. At some point, if you are to speak the gospel truth into these conversations of life, you have to press toward those deeper things. And I know this is a tough thing to get at, but at some point we have to begin to bend that conversation that way. Notice she wants to keep it superficial. Verse 11, she said to him, sir, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. They say that well was 60 feet deep. Jesus doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have a rope. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob. And again, that's a jab at the Jews. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well. It's our well, not yours, Jew. And drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. This is longstanding history. Jesus pushed through all that lightweight stuff. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. You got to come back here every day. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Her surface issue was water, but her deeper issue was longing, right? This is a thirsty woman. 
And so she, she realizes, and I think she's followed him in this transition, and she realizes, she says, uh, uh, Jesus had said, drink of me and never thirst again. And this woman realizes, hey, she's been thirsty her whole life, her whole life. And maybe that's you. Is it? Are you, is it, is it hard to be satisfied are you always longing, always thinking something else is going to fill you? know, I've said this many times. God creates us with a Christ-shaped hole right there in our heart, and we try to stuff everything else in it, another person or an experience or a material object or, or anything, you name it. We're trying to success. We're trying to stuff something in it, and we're always longing. Kind of like that old Rolling Stone song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Never thought Mick Jagger would be right, but he was right about that. And this is that woman. I mean, her whole life she's been longing. Her whole life she's been... The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. She's ready. And I think she, I think she gets it so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And then Jesus, man, he touches the wound. Watch what he says. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And man, I can just feel the air. <sighs> go, out, go out of the room. Go call your husband. It's like that moment in... in in, in, in the movies where, you know, the scene kind of stops and, and everything kind of zooms in on the guys. She's like, go call your husband. And uh, she, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And I, I think she said this in a whisper. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you correctly, you've correctly said I have no husband for you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you've said truly. This woman didn't have a man problem. She had a men problem. This is a thirsty woman. And no man was able to satiate that thirst. And there's something here going on because Jesus isn't letting her get away with it. He's offered living water, but first, hey, you know, go get your husband, right? Um... And this is the balance to kindness. Some people think that God loves us so much that he'll ignore our sin. But the fact of the matter is, God loves us so much that he sent his son to the cross to die for our sin. And so if God takes our sin seriously enough to sacrifice his son, that says to us that our sin is important. And he said that just a few verses earlier in John 3, 16. Jesus was kind to people, but he didn't accommodate their sin. He dealt with it. He said, go get your husband. Uh-oh. He did the same thing with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus is a, full of pride. His sin is pride and legalism and, and uh, all of those things that are in the trappings of the success of the Pharisee. And Jesus cuts to the chase with him. And he says, look, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. All that pride junk you've got in your life, you've got to die to that. And you've got to be born again. You've got to die to the old man and, and be born to something new. And he's cutting right to the heart of it. In other words, he's speaking truth into their life, and it's a truth that is unpleasant. It's a truth that's making people uncomfortable, okay? But here's what we have to understand. It's okay to speak truth in love. We live in a world that hates that. They want everybody to affirm everything. And they want, they, they're not satisfied with, with doing their thing. They, they won't be satisfied until you approve of what they're doing. And there's a real burden of temptation to think, well, if I'm going to be kind, I've got to accommodate their sin. 
And Jesus never did that. You know, Jesus loved, he walked that balance. He loved the tax gatherer. He loved the tax collectors. In fact, they invited him to their house. But he never went and collected taxes. It's not enough just to love. If sin is the problem, then you have to address the problem. How does grace make any sense if you don't understand what your sin is? And our problem we have today is, unlike here, the woman and Nicodemus, neither one argued with Jesus about the issue of their sin. But what we have today are people saying, no, there is no such thing as sin, and that you're sinful by talking about sin. And it's hard for us to continue that conversation, but look, that's a conversation that still has to happen. Be kind, but speak truth. Jesus loved tax gatherers, but he didn't collect taxes. And he didn't approve of the greed and graft that went along with it. In fact, when one of the tax collectors came to Jesus, a little short Zacchaeus, uh, he knew instinctively that he was going to have to deal with his sin. So he turned around and talked to all the people. And he said, everything I've ever stolen from everybody, I'm giving back. I'm a changed man today. Look, if they promote sin, you have to stand against the lie. And I would say this, if a corporation inserts itself into the discussion and publicly pressures elected officials to accommodate sin, then you have the right to stop buying their products. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you're not kind. We don't roll over on sin in the name of charity because sin is the problem. And if you don't deal with sin, then how can you, how can you feel the need with, for grace, right? And so Jesus says, go get your husband. Here's the point. You don't have to be unkind to deal with sin. In fact, listen, once people feel valued by you, then they will be more vulnerable and transparent with you. But you've got to value them first. And then the last thing I'd say is be patient. The woman said to him, <laughs> I think she said this in a quiver. I think there was a quiver in her voice. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He's like, go get your husband. I don't have, I don't have a husband. Oh, yeah, well, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's a very perceptive woman, isn't she? And this thing had gone deep fast. And this woman wants to come up for air. I mean, she's trying to fight her way back to the surface and get out of this thing. Let's quit talking about it. And so she relies on a theological dodge. Verse 20, our fathers, <laughs> follow the conversation. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you've had five. The one you're living with is not your husband. I perceive you're a prophet. Okay, um, uh, our guys worship at Mount Gerizim. Your guys worship in Jerusalem. Where do you think's the best place to worship? That's what she does. I mean, read it. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. You know what Mount Gerizim was? It was fake Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem is the Rolex. Mount Gerizim was the $50 Rolex you buy on the streets in New York City. That's what Gerizim was. You see, there was only one place where the temple was meant to be, and that was in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they had the priestly system. They had the law. They had uh, the history and the movement of God, all of that going on in Jerusalem. But there was a civil war after Solomon, and the nation was divided just above Jerusalem, north and south. The north became known as Israel or Ephraim. The south became known as Judah. And, and those in the north said, we need a centralized place of worship. So they looked around. They said, well, there's this place for Jacob. Uh, let's, let's make worship at Gerizim. Only they didn't have the law. They didn't have the truth. And so it began to sort of emulate and incorporate the pagan religions all around them, including Baal worship. 
And this is the very thing that Elijah the prophet was all about and was after. And so Gerizim became known as sort of this fake version of Jerusalem. And the Jews in the south detested Gerizim, and the Samaritans in the, north, in the middle, they defended Gerizim. And so there's this long-standing argument, again, it's been going on for 900 years. But for this woman, this is, maybe, maybe, maybe she said to herself, if I ever run into a prophet, I'm going to ask him about this. I don't know. More likely, I think she just wanted to quit talking about husbands. So let's talk about some theological argument, you know. Let's talk about Calvinism. Let's talk about, you know, being a second baptism. Because maybe if I can get you talking about that, we can quit talking about my sin. And Jesus let her go. That's the amazing thing. Watch this. He didn't say, forget that. Let's talk about your man problems. He genuinely answered her questions. He said, woman, believe me, this is verse 21, an hour's coming. And when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is how you worship. He said, you worship what you don't know. They didn't have truth. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jew. But an hour's coming. And now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The spirit and in truth. You know, you got to have both. Spirit's like water. Truth is like food, you know. And there are some churches who worship in spirit, but they don't have any truth. And so they're starving to death because all they've got is water. And there are other churches who are worshiping in truth, but there's no spirit there. And so they're, they're dying. They're choking on the truth that they have. Jesus says, we got to have both spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Spirit, Numa, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You can worship anywhere you want, but you, you have to do it in spirit and in truth. And we could spend a whole nother Sunday on that. But back to the issue, she was dodging the issue. And here's the important thing. He was patient enough to let her go. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. And look, here it is. This is where we're headed. And Jesus said, I and literally, it's, it's the one who speaks to you, I am. That's how it literally is written. Doesn't, it's not grammatically good in English, but it, it's more theologically because he's tying the I am, the God, Yahweh, with who he is. The one who speaks to you, I am. And the disciples, who are notorious for these things, stumble in at just the wrong time. I mean, just when the conversation reaches the pinnacle, here come the disciples. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he was speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? Jesus, they don't have to say it. I mean, they come up and it's like a woman, it's a Samaritan woman. They just give her that Jewish look. You know, Baptists got that same look. Just give them that Baptist look. And basically what they say, say that wasn't said is, why are you talking with this tramp? They're so helpful. What a buzzkill, you know, right in the middle of it. And she left. Again, he let her go. I like to think he probably had a few choice words for the disciples. Do you realize, did, it, did, 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 did you realize this, that in both cases, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, the person having the conversation went away without making a commitment to Christ. Did y'all realize that? At least that's what it looks like on the outside. And here's what I want you to hear. Just because there aren't words being used does not mean that nothing is happening. Moms, you've got a prodigal son. 
Just because words aren't being, moms think, if I could just use some more words, we could fix this problem. And they'll, you know, dads too, we all do that. But you got to realize you've got the Holy Spirit involved in this. And the Holy Spirit will take that seed that you've planted and he'll water it and he'll do things with it and he'll create change that you didn't think was happening. And we see this in Nicodemus. After Nicodemus walks away without ever having made any sort of public commitment to Christ, when Jesus' body is being removed from the cross, guess who shows up? Nicodemus steps out of the shadows into the brilliant blazing light of day and he says, I identify myself as a follower of this man that you just crucified. And he brings the spices. He didn't say that with his mouth. He said it with his actions. And he brings the spices that they would use to prepare the body. And this woman who didn't make any public confession of faith at that moment led her whole city in a revival. This improbable, broken girl became the catalyst of transformation. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This isn't the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Now skip down to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. What a different outcome, right? Normally the church would judge a woman like this and walk away and the world and the community would stay exactly like it was, lost, divided, and hostile. But if we love them, listen to me, if we reach them, if we... If we're kind to them and we speak into the needs of their heart and then we patiently allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that we can't do, revival breaks out. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them and he stayed there two more days. Two more days. (laughs) You know, if you've ever been around a, a very important person, you know 15 minutes is a gift. And Jesus said, I tell you what, something's so profound happening here. I'm going to stick around for a couple of days, answer every question you've got. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And I, I look at our world and I go, yeah, there's all kinds of bad stuff happening. There's all kinds of things going on. But open your eyes. There are also opportunities because these people who are so filled with rage and all the stuff that's happening, they're still empty. They're still like this woman. They're still thirsty. They're still longing. They're still trying to find a way back to God because God has written it into their hearts. And look what Jesus said to his men. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the field. They're white for harvest. There's never been a time in our country where there was more unrest, maybe the Civil War, prior to the Civil War, than we see today. And yet, I really believe that there's never been a time where a greater revival was ready to happen. Did y'all see what happened in the news last week? 4,500 people got baptized at one time. And of all places, can you believe this? 4,500 people in of all places, you know where they got baptized? California. 
I thought God had left California. I thought he packed up and moved to Texas. 4,500 people, and we're seeing that all over the place. We're seeing families change, lives change, people coming to Jesus. The fields are white to harvest. If God's church will simply share the gospel, just, and all you got to do is be kind, press for the hard issues. That means be courageous and be patient and let the Holy Spirit do what you can never do. Will you do that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these two beautiful examples of of how Jesus engages in a hostile environment. Because that's where we live. And so, Father, we purpose to you that we will engage too. Forgive us for being satisfied with just offloading our ideas, our beliefs, in a callous, uncaring way. And Father, we purpose we're going to be kind. And we're going to press toward those deeper things. And we're going to be patient. So that you can do what we can never do. I pray for those moms right now with the prodigal son or daughter. I pray you'd help them in these conversations. I pray, Father, for those businessmen with a partner or a colleague that they're so concerned about. Pray for these college students who are desiring to make a difference on their campus. These high school kids, junior high, these coaches, these teachers. I pray, Father, for your church that as Jesus never veered from his purpose to seek and to save that which is lost, that we would be about your business. We, we commit to you today that we're going to do that. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.